0: this episode of dig me out you're not putting me on the spot
1: no you're not putting me on the spot
0: you're wait not... who's who's putting who on the spot here yeah, i'm putting
1: you on the spot you're wait the... i'm not on the spot you're on the spot Shit. hello and welcome to another episode of dig me out i'm your host tim Menichi, joining me again my co-host, Jay Ziak. Jay, yeah. it's football in the air.
0: Oh. It doesn't smell like football yet.
1: Uh, no, it doesn't. S- scent of get... and pig skin and chicken wings. And... <laughs> um, I did see that the Browns punter got his uh, Achilles all oh, busted up and is out dude. for the season. Seriously, it...
0: Oh, I don't even—I don't even know what to say at this point. This just will be old news
1: year. by the time this episode comes out, but as we're recording this, uh, what is it Reggie Hodges? Is that his name?
0: Yeah, and, and he, I mean, he was just practicing punts by himself. Nobody touched him. Nobody came near him. It wasn't in a game situation. Nothing. He's standing in the grass, kicking a ball by himself. Steps with his foot and blows out his Achilles tendon. It's unbelievable <laughs> the bad luck that this team has. It's to the point where, like, it seriously needs to be investigated as a paranormal sort of phenomenon that needs to be explained.
1: I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Um,
0: let's do but some. And, uh, and a lot of people will be like, "Oh, whatever, it's a punter." We do a lot of punning, <laughs> so uh, it kind of becomes important to have somebody who can do it pretty well.
1: Need to pin those. You need to pin those offenses back as
0: far as possible. <laughs> Punting is half of our offense, so, yeah, it is kind of a big deal. You know what else is a big deal, Jay? Yeah,
1: what? Green, ec- green, green, green apple quick step. That's not true. They're not a big deal.
0: It that sounds like a dessert you made last weekend.
1: Actually, do you know what green apple quick step means? Did you Google this? No.
0: no. Okay, urban... I I do no research before the show.
1: Urban Dictionary tells me that Green Apple Quick Step, which is the band we're reviewing tonight, and this is confirmed that they they name themselves after this, is the slang for when you get diarrhea from eating too many ripe apples. Wow. You have to do the Green Apple Quick Step, as in run to the bathroom.
0: I really wish you wouldn't have told me that. (laughs) <laughs> That's a horrible thing to name your band after.
1: Yeah, it's it really not a good idea. Don't name your band after a some after a terminology in, involving bowel movement.
0: Um, yeah, there's nothing rocking about diarrhea.
1: No, <laughs> there's nothing. So let's let's do the history.
2: History of the band.
1: Arena Apple Quickstep actually formed in 92, but they emerged out of the ashes as a band known as Inspector Love and the Ride Me Babies.
0: Oh, for God's sake.
1: Yes, that is the actually, that is the name of that band. Inspector Love and the Ride Me Babies. It was vocalist Ty- Tyler Willman, guitarist Steve Ross, and Dan Kempthorne, and drummer... Bob Martin and bassist Eric Monday. They played some shows in um, Seattle, Washington, which is where they're from, and released uh, some, at least an EP. And in '92, uh, Eric Monday left the band and was replaced by Mary Ann Braden. The band renamed themselves green apple quickstep and started playing shows in the area with bands such as sweetwater and best kissers in the world you might be familiar with those two bands jay or...
0: i'm familiar with sweetwater i okay. both their
1: albums they released their first album wonderful virus in 1993 on the medicine label which was a subsidiary of Reprise Records, or Reprise. And they made a music video for the song Dirty Dirty Water Ocean. Then they uh, did some touring with uh, a favorite here of the show, Grunt Truck. Mm. And while on tour, it was their uh, fourth U.S. tour in support of Wonderful Virus, their van and everything in it was stolen. So they had to basically pack up whatever clothes they had with them and return to Seattle. Which is when they began recording this album that we're reviewing, Reloaded. This was recorded with uh, Nick Tedia and Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam Producing. Hmm. This was... Uh, well, they started recording in October of 94... And working at Stone Gossard's home studio. Uh, But Stone Gossard's such a nice guy. He said, don't worry about paying me any royalties. I don't want any points on the record or anything. He's basically doing it because they were friends of his.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, It was released on May 23rd of 1995 through, again, the medicine label, which was then distributed through WEA. The song Dizzy, which is the single, uh, was featured on the Basketball Diaries soundtrack. They also released singles for Los Vargos, um, Underwater at number five. Interesting enough, some of the songs went to regular hard rock and alternative stations, and some of them went to metal stations, which I think is an interesting choice in, in how to market this band because there's a definite um, vary or there's a lot of variety on this record. I'm just wondering if your average metal fan who might hear one of these songs would actually buy the record and then be really pissed off to hear the rest of the record that doesn't sound metal at all.
0: I can't even begin to figure out what song they would send to a metal station.
1: Uh, I'm guessing Ed number 5 but or Los Vargos, but I'm not sure exactly. So they did another tour and they supported Candlebox and Seaweed and Love Battery and President of the United States and the Supersuckers, a whole bunch of different uh, bands that they toured with. Well, Tyler, or Ty Willman and um, Mary Mary Ann Braden played in Mike McCready from Pearl Jam Side Project, $10,000 Gold Chain, which had a song on the Cable Guy soundtrack. And Willman also sang with Devilhead. Hmm. He played, or he sang one song on uh, Pest Control, which was released on Stone Gossard's Loose Groove Records. So the band then signs to Columbia Records. They spend a year uh, writing and recording. They, re- they go to Los Angeles, record with Mike Wallace, who's, or Matt Wallace, pretty big producer. And they replace the drummer, they play some shows, they replace yeah, another drummer, and um, they end up breaking up and never releasing the record. And it's actually done, and they have said that they're gonna get back together. In fact, in 2010, they said, we're gonna get back together, and they played some shows, and we're gonna eventually release this record, but it's never officially been released. So
2: it's just
1: just sort of sitting out there, um, waiting. It's so hard. Just put it out on the internet. So eventually that album is going to come out. Uh, But it hasn't at this point, officially. I'm sure that there are people who have copies. Get on with it. Yeah. So that is the of Green Apple Quick Step so this was an album you didn't specifically say i want to review this album but you did say let's do some more seattle-based sort of grunge bands i don't know if you call this grunge necessarily but alternative bands uh, a little while back and this was the one that i picked specifically because i knew the single dizzy that was kind of a big radio hit for college at least i don't know how big it went you know overall other than being on the basketball diary soundtrack but I'm curious as to. I'm not saying this is your official pick, so I'm not
0: going for. You're not putting me on the spot.
1: <laughs> no, you're not putting me on the spot. You're Wait,
0: gonna, who's who's putting who on the spot
1: here? Yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. You're Wait, the. I'm not on the spot. You're on the spot. The spot is Shit. yes. So here's here's my question. I'm going to pose to you. Okay. Um, a it's a two-parter. Were you familiar with this band and their single, Dizzy, beforehand?
0: And yes, I was familiar with this band, but I was not familiar with that song. What's your second question?
1: Well, then it ruins my second question. I was going to say, does <laughs> the rest of the album live up to that single?
0: Um, I heard of the band. I th- it must have been the first album. Uh, they were on MTV, I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I remember liking it. But it's just, again, one of the themes through this show is you hear a lot of bands, especially especially at that time, you know, you, you, I think I was in high school or just graduating and didn't have much money and you hear a band, it sounds pretty interesting, but, you know, to put the 15 bucks down on the CD is a whole different story. It's not like now where you can kind of go out and, you know, sample the music somewhere and listen to, you know, the whole album and see if you like it and then you know buy it buy a couple songs or buy the whole thing or, or download it from somewhere so I just never got around to getting it um, so I was uh, getting back into this band I like from Seattle called New American Shame I think their album came out in 99 or 2000 um, completely different kinda of band just kinda a, kind of a uh, ACDC sounding or actually I think they sound a lot like Tattoo Rose um, everybody's familiar with tattoo Rose, right if, if you like good music um, <laughs> so I was getting back into that band trying to figure out why they only made one album and just just looking them up on the internet to see if they if they put any other music out or if any of the guys wanted to do do anything else and reading their bio the this band uh, name came up again green apple quick step so okay uh i'm not sure who in the band was in this band or what they or played drummer. i can't remember. drummer
1: yeah they share um, uh jeff reading who was one of like the three different drummers who played at the end of the band it was uh jeff reading uh bob martin and then dane hudson
0: did i say tattoo rose holy crap it's rose tattoo
1: rose oh yeah jay what's going on you're right oh, i feel like a complete jerk
0: chip midnight's gonna have a fit i, when I apologize to all the australian listeners of this podcast um, that's like saying Jesus' name backwards, which I can't even do. Um, so, I, 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 that name came up again, and it really, I remembered them, and I remember that they were sort of intertwined in the whole Seattle thing. Um, so, threw the name out to you, like, just the idea that, you know, we probably should take a look at this band, because I think they were <laughs> kind of involved with a lot of the bands that we, uh, either reference or have already reviewed, so... Uh, Here in the history, it sounds like that was the case. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with any of this album. And um, what's funny is that I hate the song, Dizzy. That's like my least favorite song on this album. Really? Um, I think the song is good. let Let me kind of work around that a little bit. I think it's a good song. It doesn't sound like anything else on the album. No. And it sounds like, to me, the way that it's played on here, it it sounds like Ugly Kid Joe. It's It's just a really awful song.
2: Can you smell?
0: I think if like somebody else would have done it like with more of like a clean guitar sound or i don't know just more a different production or just a different sound they gave it to another band it may have worked a lot better but with them playing you know with sort of they have a very um i would say kind of a pearl jam 10 era guitar thing going on a lot of times so it's like you know kind of classic rock guitars that are hit big chords and use a lot of wah and kind of work around each other when you try to play like an up-tempo pop song with with those that's kind of sound, and it ends up sounding like Ugly Kid Joe you know it's like oh
1: I mean so, I, heard, I I thought the chorus was catchy I didn't I don't think the rest no, of the song was, yeah I wrote I down the chorus is
0: catchy as hell but it's just like what is it doing on this album and why is this band playing this song <laughs> like they should have sold it to somebody else Huh. Um so yeah I, I think you touched on it a little bit this album is it's all over the place I mean you've got that um the album the album starts and and ends with like just jams like two or three minute long instrumental for the most part jams
1: yeah it opens like, with that hotel Wisconsin with just like a slow lazy three or four um, minute jam and then it ends with Halloween just basically the same thing.
0: Kind of jazzy chords here and there and just weird just self-indulgent you know wah-wah guitar crap and so like you can toss those songs out right away <laughs> like, I mean, if i've seen them live maybe that'd be interesting i'm assuming that's probably how they started their show and that's where that song came from but on the album i'm like oh come on um so then you get into some stuff like trek two starts this Sound it sounds a little Pearl Jammy, Pearl Jam ten. Then you get the track three. Sounds like nothing else on the album. Nope. Doesn't sound like Dizzy. Doesn't sound like any of the other songs. It's basically a punk song that the the girl sings, and she doesn't really sing lead on anything else. I don't think. No, she did some backing. So you're like, where the hell did this song come from? I mean, it's it's not a bad song, but again, it's like, what is it doing on this album? It doesn't fit anything else. <laughs>
2: Don't wanna lose it when you get in bed. Looking for kids, chicks, and coke. You know your life is a permanent joke.
0: So there's that tune and then you sort of get into they do these um track four and, and there's a couple others where they get into this kind of like a it's interesting you said they recorded at Loose Groove and, and Stone Gosser was involved because it kind of kind of reminds me of the early like Satchel or Brad stuff where they're it's not as good as either of that stuff but it's got this like they're trying to do like a soul groove kind of thing right that those bands tried to do It must have been the thing to explore in Seattle at the time there's all these bands trying to do like you know I don't know soul records or something or trying to figure out how to do that so there's there's some elements of that that comes through and you hear it a little bit on track four um track five is you mentioned underwater this is a good example of I think it it's pretty typical the rest of the record he, the singer's got a really he, he's got a really good voice he does um, he's
1: he, he doesn't really use it as much as he should but he's got a really yeah. powerful singing style that almost and reminded he, me of at times of like andrew wood from mother love bone like he could really belt it out
0: i think he's actually probably even technically better than andrew wood i mean he's like a legitimately good singer his problem is that did you find it to be still kind of generic though? Well the, like he, it...
1: the thing is that he didn't he he has a great voice and he knows how to use it but he doesn't necessarily know how to write a song to yeah build, to, to show it off.
0: Well so this song underwater the reason I brought it up is because of the courses of that song is probably where his voice is for me at its best. So, like, the verses are really, like, paint-by-numbers predictable. Like, you you kind of get the, the, what the rhyming pattern is, and it doesn't really do anything interesting. But he gets to the chorus, um, especially the first and the second chorus, and he opens up, and he belts it out a little bit more, and it really kind of really works then. Um, and in the second one, they introduce the female backup vocal. Mm-hmm to the second chorus which makes that one really cool
2: inside your mind I will always be inside your hair and I know it's coming down and I-
0: So those are moments where you're like, okay, I see the potential that, you know, this guy has, but there's a lot of other like you said, the songwriting doesn't match his voice a lot of the time and he doesn't quite know what to do. So it comes off sounding like I don't know, like The Dishwalla or something, you know, that kind of like generic alt rock thing which in a lot of ways you'd think this band was was better than that, but it kind of doesn't always work. Um, and then from there on, you know, the album is just, it, it's all over the place. They get, they then you go into Dizzy, tracks seven and nine, uh, Alligator Entangled. You get this, like, alt-country twang going on. You know, it's, like, going between, like, Sunvolt and the Black Rose and, like, sounds like that.
1: Did you, um which, at, at the end of track seven, Alligator, did you catch the little riff that they throw in during the fade out? um no it's 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 a credence riff wow, it's little like um I can't and I can't place the song it's like huh. um i can hear the I can hear the credence song in my head, but yeah. I can't remember what the the yeah it's got the old man down the road line in the chorus hmm. and I couldn't remember what the actual name of the it's that song it's got yeah hi de hi.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, jump yeah,
1: yeah. and run again. You know whatever that particular Creedence song is.
0: Um, bayou, uh, up on the down on the bayou or something.
1: Yeah, but there's that yeah. le- there's that lead in there, and they actually throw it in during the fade out. Um, Interesting.
0: Yeah. so that's maybe where they were coming from on that. There are Where's some online?
1: weird influences going to this record. I- I'll tell you, you're mentioning that you know like that country influence. One of the things that I heard, I mentioned Mother Love Bone before, but. There also seems to be some of that like Jane's addiction psychedelic thing going on in some of the songs, specifically in tracks two, um, Ed number five, and mm-hmm. um, there were just the guitar playing reminded me a lot of Dave Navarro with the wah wah mm-hmm. and stuff. And then the other song that I actually did like a lot, which was uh, Trek 8, Los Vargos, which they actually use as the boy-girl vocal thing. And I think that's becoming sort of a recurring theme here is if you have a a girl in your band or a woman in your band and she can sing, you should use her because it totally elevates the (laughs) You know, I, I looking back now, I'm look I'm thinking like the Smashing Pumpkins, and I'm like, why didn't they use, why didn't they have Darcy singing more?
0: Yeah, dude, it's insane. That that song is by far the best song on the album, and it it puts the band in the best light. And and that's that song. If you listen to that song only, you know, you'd probably walk away like, wow, this band is probably really good because it it does. It has that dynamic of the back and forth, and there's like uh, I don't know if you picked up on it, but. There's a percussion layered in, in a really cool way, and it, it, it's not annoying. Um, the song's up tempo; it has an urgency to it. But you know, it, it's a, it's kind of heavy. It's pretty rocking, but it sort of has a good pop thing going on between the vocal exchange. And they never really captured on it on any other songs on the album. And that's when they that's what I expected when I remember the band. That's what I expected them to sound like when I went back and listened to this album. Um, and really, that's that's one of the only tracks that that happens on where it really all comes together for me.
1: I wonder if this was a case where, you know, they had their friend Stone Gossard was producing. He was doing it for free. He's letting him hang out at his house and and record this record. If they didn't really have a strong guiding influence on this record is part of the problem. Why it's so disjointed and so all over the place. Because even in what I read, like I went to like Amazon and read the reviews for this record. Just trying to get, just discern some information and almost all the reviews were like, this is a good record, but you should definitely go back and check out the first one. That's the better record. And everything huh. was pointing to, there's too much jamminess, there's too much experimentation, there's too much psychedelic influence, and the first record is much more um, focused, it has a much more consistent sound throughout the record, and I'm wondering if they kind of didn't really know where to go with the second record. So they started adding yeah. like, these elements, like you mentioned, like the country-ish Sort of influence on on some of the songs, and they're doing sort of like a jammy, Jane's Addiction, Mother Love Bone thing on a couple songs, and they're, you know, like on, like you mentioned the first song and the last song, and tr- and especially track 11, which is the instrumental song, it's yeah. all jazz chords, and it's an, it's, yeah. just, it's purposeless. I mean, it's it doesn't fit any other aspect, of it, <laughs> and it's.
0: Can I share my note on that one? Yeah, track 11 jazzy jam parentheses shit i'm not even gonna say what the title is because it's obscene
1: has an obscene name for the song and i don't want to get us an explicit rating on the itunes store again we already did that once with the cult uh album so or the cult review so but it should have been like the hidden track like you should have had to wait like three minutes and then it comes in and then you're angry because you're like why did i wait three minutes for this piece of garbage track (laughs) didn't need to be on there it it basically was taking up space um and and really if you break this down this is a really good ep here but there's not a great album
0: no and it's the kind of thing where i bet even if the label heard it as they were working on it we're probably the label's probably thinking basically what they did like hey we could take these songs and push them to metal radio, and we could take these two songs and push them to alt radio, we could take these two songs and push them to college radio. And...
1: Yeah. There's there's something oh. for everybody, but there's...
0: Yeah. And I think
1: no. Nick DiDia produced... I'm, I'm not 100% here, but I'm pretty sure he was involved with either the Satchel or the Brad records. Mm. That does make sense, because yeah. some of that stuff gets a little jammy, gets a little, you know, psychedelic, and... Some of it works. It more of it works on those records than it does here. Um, and I think yeah. it has a lot to do with the songwriting of Sean Smith. And Oh, and his voice. And his voice. <laughs> and it was well, just his voice works with that yes. style.
0: Yes. And he can sing a, a a song that has a soul core to it, you know, a soul influence to it, and pull it off. Yeah. This guy sounds like a white dude you know, who's trained I mean, there's times in this album. He actually sounds a lot like John Bon Jovi. <laughs> like there's <laughs> there's a ballad on here. Um it's almost a power ballad. Uh which one is it? Is it Off-Track uh, 4 TV Girl? It, you know, it's got a um power ballady kind of chorus to it. And there's parts in that song when he you know, he sings some lines and it sounds a lot like John Bon Jovi. I not
1: really I hadn't put that together, but I guess you're kind of right. <laughs> Wow.
0: Okay. So when when they go into the groove mode and you got that vocal over top, it doesn't work quite well as well as a as a Sean Smith does.
1: No. No. Well Sean Smith can do his falsetto and he can
2: Yeah.
0: We'll we'll, we'll be getting to Sean
1: Smith's albums with Satchel and Brad down the road, but yeah, that's a totally I mean he's got a totally different um, set of skills when it comes to his his vocals. So this this album did was respectably received in terms of it got onto a soundtrack, "Dizzy" got played on MTV and and they, you know, they got some um, college radio spins and they sold probably a few thousand, tens of thousands of records, um, but they didn't really break through in terms of you know, making a um, a hit record, so. Is it pretty obvious here? Is it because this is a completely inconsistent record and there's even from single to single there's no consistency? Is that what's sort of missing here that people really I mean you can't really pin this thing down in any way and it makes it sort of a mess.
0: Well, I mean if you're saying that Dizzy you know was mildly successful on college radio, there's not another Dizzy on here. No. Uh, <laughs> Maybe if there was a couple more, they would have done better. They would have done better, but I, it wouldn't have made me like like the album any better because I don't particularly like that song. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm kind of shocked that they that they did as much with this as they did. To be honest with you, I mean, just listening back, you know how many singles they released, and it sounds like they pushed it and they toured a lot for it and they worked it hard um to me if i would you know not knowing anything about where this album came in and how many more they did and or anything like that i would have guessed this was their first album cuz this sounds like a band just just got together maybe 6 months ago and trying to figure things out you know and it would kind of like it would give you some some glimpses into maybe where they end up going but this is the second album which makes no sense whatsoever like to to have an identity on a, on a on a first album and then go to a second album and just completely blow it up and try to you know do jam songs and explore country and all the stuff to do on here is just like so random.
1: Yeah, but it's a very random album.
0: I'm surprised that it that it got as much. I think it overachieved <laughs> from what I, from what you're saying. Yeah, in my my opinion.
1: So I guess we're both sort of, you know, listen to the two or three songs that we've both. I think Ed number five and Los Vargos.
0: Um, I-, I liked Underwater track five, and I think track three is worth listening to, but it just it doesn't sound like anything else on the album. Yeah, yeah. So if you like No Favors, track three. Awesome, enjoy it, but don't expect to find another song like that on here. No.
1: Um, yeah, listen to those, but otherwise, I I think this is both of a a, kind of a pass for both of us, and it's not even really, you know, we've criticized some albums for their production, but there's no really production issues on here. It's not like this album doesn't stand up because we don't like the production. It's just that the songs aren't there,
0: or the playing. Or the playing. I mean, everybody on here is is fine. They're all competent players, and they do a good job. And I mean. They play their instruments well enough. It's really about the songwriting and just the, the direction of the band.
1: Uh, I wonder if this probably got more attention than it deserved because it was Stone Gossard because his name was on it as the producer and he was able to, you know, lend some credibility to the band. And, um, you know, this is... Comes out in 95. I mean, Pearl Jam are at their height of popularity and power at this point. In terms of... Power? Yeah, I mean, they were unstoppable. They were a killing machine. <laughs> <laughs> no, they could They could go around, they could slaughter people wherever they wanted and not pay any price for it. No, uh... Power. But there... You know what I'm talking about. There are... Sometimes there are bands that are like baby bands, and but yeah. because they have the right producer behind them or the right support from a a much larger band, they're able to get a few cracks that the smaller bands um, don't necessarily get, just because sure. they've, got, they've got the right, you know, the right person nice back in them.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: So screw you, Stone Gossard, for pushing this on us. Son of a bitch. <laughs> no, there's there's some there's a couple good tracks, but overall, download the couple that you like from iTunes or from. I don't know if you can download. Do you download download stuff on Spotify or is that all streaming?
0: It's like a weird hybrid. Um, you're basically streaming it, which I checked, and this band is not on Spotify.
1: Okay, so forget Spotify. <laughs> Probably find their MP3s on either Amazon or iTunes. I, I think.
0: Where did you find it?
1: Um, you know, one of my sources. Oh. No, I got it from uh, the awesome Shell over at the I Hate the 90s blog. She has um, all of the green Apple Quick Step stuff. Um, they have, uh, the first, she has the first album. She has this. And then they have like sort of a mini Greatest Hits. I think it was made by a fan that basically takes the best tracks off of the first record and the second record.
0: I'd like to get the first album. Yeah. I,
1: I would, like too. I'm head. actually interested in hearing it, even though this one wasn't great.
0: Well, speaking of Stone Gossard, before we go here, um,
1: no, we're not going to re- re- review Bayleaf, his solo album.
0: Oh God, I didn't, I'm not even aware of that. I, uh, I got the Malfunction uh, DVD package, which is basically the story of Andrew Wood. Mm-hmm. Hour and a half, or s- actually longer, documentary, um, and then two CDs of uh, both the Malfunction album and then the uh, a bunch of demos that he did and he did with Chris Cornell and a bunch of crazy stuff but I've ripped the <laughs> the video to my computer to watch it and it kind of screwed it up when it ripped it so it's all in this weird order It's broken up and I'm not even sure if I have the whole thing in there so when I watched it I just had to just watch it in piecemeal and uh, one of the long sequences on there it may be extra footage that they included it's basically um, what appears to be because there's no titles over it or anything appears to be Mother Love Bone which is Stone Gossard Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam plus all the other guys and Andrew Wood backstage at the Judas Priest Motorhead Tour with Dangerous Toys opening up (laughs) and it's basically like them I don't know if they opened the show or if they just went to it what's going on but like the arena is kind of empty and they're either hanging out i think they're hanging out after the show like when they're cleaning up and they're just like sitting in the seats and bullshitting and hanging out with girls and they show them like down in the tunnels and chris cornell shows up and then they show them on a tour bus shooting the shit about like they're talking about who stone gods obsessed like walking around the party asking people who's better glenn tipton or kk downing and they're, like, making fun of dangerous toys, and it's just a really fascinating look at, you know, sort of what we think about those guys. Right. And looking at the reality of, of them at that moment in time, which is probably 1990, maybe 89. Um, they're, like, you know, they kind of look glamier, um, and they are very well- First in 80s metal and, <laughs> and glam metal. Now, how old did you
1: say they were at this point? Were they, like, 20s? Like, early 20s? Were they even, like, 19, 18 years old or something like that? Or? Well,
0: I mean, at this point, Stone Gossard had already been in Green River for, God, I don't know, five years or something. So this is his second band.
1: I didn't realize he was in Green River.
0: Jeff and Matt was, too. So this is, like, their second band.
1: Who else was in it? Was that Mark Arm from Mudhoney? yeah okay
0: they had to I mean they were probably in their early 20s but closer to 20 I would guess 23 24 than than 18 um, so I mean and this is probably maybe Andrew Wood must have died probably a couple months after filming this because I think their album is out at this point so Pearl Jam forms probably a year after this video was shot maybe a year and a half the most so it's pretty interesting you can get it on amazon and it's it's like a it's a really nice package if you're into uh the andrew wood story it's it's pretty it's pretty he's a pretty interesting dude it's a pretty interesting story in terms of like where he fits in the in the course of everything that happened and what happened it's sort of a tragic story in terms of you know this guy dies and he's he's a really sweet guy but like his death enables all of this other stuff to happen which probably wouldn't have happened. But at the same point, if he would have stayed around, I mean, he was kind of like a prolific songwriter and musical genius in a way. And like, who knows what he could have done. Well, there's an
1: alternate history that involves Andrew Wood becoming the biggest star of the 90s and not Kurt Cobain. That's what I really believe, that Andrew Wood could have been the guy who, like, put Seattle on
0: the map. I think, it's, uh, I think it's Chris Cornell that they interview on this a lot because he, he was roommates with him and very very close to him and he makes a really he, he kind of stumbles around a little bit making the point but the point that he makes is is pretty interesting he's basically saying that to him Andrew Wood would have been the bridge between sort of the 80s thing 80s rock thing and what happened what was coming out of of Seattle like he was even at that time they recognized him as like the 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 guy in the band that was going to bridge the two to make them work together and the fact that and, the, and even the record labels and the in there was a sense even in the music business that like they knew that something was coming and a, there was a lot of bands doing something that was the complete opposite of everything that you just to, you know mm-hmm huge and it was and that that stuff that was huge was sort of starting to get old and die out and losing sort of its vitality and that this guy was going to bring the new spirit of what they were saying but do it in a way that kind of bridged the gap and made it all sort of work together and basically by him dying that was the only person that could do that and that there was no other choice but to basically just you know cut the head of the snake off and start over and like everything that had been done was was suddenly within a matter of months the most uncool you know worst thing ever right and all of those people had like no careers and you know it was like everything ended and a whole new chapter started and there was like no bridge between the two and uh it was pretty interesting to me to hear chris cornell sort of say that you know they sort of recognized that when it happened and like what he meant and when he died that like they kind of knew things were not going to be the way that they all thought they were going to be. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's really well done documentary. They talk a lot to his family and who are pretty, pretty interesting cast characters. And um, obviously a lot of his friends and stuff from Seattle. and right. So, well, that's called malfunction,
1: right? The Andrew Wood story.
0: Yep. It's on Amazon. It's about 35 bucks.
1: I'll put a link to that on our homepage. We already have an Amazon uh, uh, referral account and uh, if you want to check that out, please click the link on our page and you can get a penny or two for that. So, But that definitely sounds like I'm going to check that out. Everybody else should definitely check that out if you're into uh, what Andrew Wood was doing with malfunctioned and Mother Love Bone and stuff. So, That's it for this episode. We covered Green Apple Quick Step. We covered uh, some... Peripheral stuff with Andrew Wood and in his bio or um, posthumous biography of everything that he did.
0: So uh, we covered what happens when you eat too many um, unripened apples. Yes, ripen. Too many. Uh, yeah, apples. Overripe.
1: Under underripe. They were green apples when they're not ready.
0: I wasn't sure of the right term. Is is it underripe?
1: Oh no. Be ripened, Unripened?
0: Somebody, please leave a comment and get this straight. We want to make sure that we we need to know what apples, what age of an apple to eat, so that we don't get diarrhea.
1: Um, this I'm gonna go go off on a tangent here just for one second. But when they were <laughs> finishing, they were finishing negotiating the deal for the NFL, and they held the press conference outside. They let the lineman speak, which is not a good idea, (laughs) because Jeff Saturday got up there. I believe it was either Jeff Saturday or one of the other guys, and he was trying to say that it was not anticlimactic. So he said it was climatic, which I don't believe is a word. Uh, clim climactic. Climatic.
0: Yes. I don't think it is either.
1: But that's if what he is, said. Like
0: a couple of complete idiots.
1: you know when something is anticlimactic, it's 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 kind of fizzles out. It's not as big as you think it would be. Yeah. So he meant to say that it was actually a pretty big deal. But instead of saying you know the opposite of anticlimactic, he just said it is climatic. <laughs> Oh, and I back. just said I just sat
0: there I went don't let the lineman speak it's what tap on and just say it turned out as we expected
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up here because we're well over time on this and uh, I know everybody has to uh, go about their day so thanks for tuning in thanks for listening to dig me out and we will be back next week with another episode hey. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed.